If you would take your Bible this evening, turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. going to read verses 8 through 10. It says, Then came Amalek, and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose out men, and go out, and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it up under him. He sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the one on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in, the book, in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for that we can sing praises to thy glorious name. Thank you that for the promises you give in your word, and that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for uh, your, your promises and your riches to us in Christ Jesus. We ask now for your blessing and help as we look at and consider this man, Joshua. I pray you'd help us that learn, and we'd be admonished and encouraged through his life and testimony. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua. Somebody has called him the ordinary guy. Now, when I first read that some years ago, I thought, hmm, I didn't realize Joshua was just an ordinary guy. But think about it a little bit. Joshua's name means God's help or Jehovah is salvation. He was ordinary in the fact that he was Moses' minister, but he did nothing of the miracles really that Moses did. Very little. The only thing that we really have record of that we would, on the surface, you know, if you really think about the things that he accomplished in the book of Joshua, you'd say there's a lot of miraculous things that happened there. True, in defeating the land, the people of the land, the Canaanites, because they were very strong. But however, uh, you know, the only outright miracles would, would be maybe the, the, the dividing of the Jordan River, although the priests were the ones that put their feet in first, and then the river stopped. So, you know, it wasn't like Moses, you know, holding out his rod and the Red Sea depart, parting. No, Joshua didn't do that. The priests dipped their feet in the water, and the water stopped. That's how it happened. And then, of course, the wall of Jericho. Now, that, you know, he was the leader of the army as they're marching around the city, and the walls come falling down flat. So, you know, you think about it, you compare Elijah and Elisha. Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's ministry. And he, he did as many miracles or more miracles than Elijah did. But Joshua, though he was Moses' minister and Moses appointed him to take his place, 
You know, he, he never brought water out of the rock. He never threw a tree into the water and made it sweet. You know, he, he never turned water to blood. He never brought flies or lice or locusts or, you know, any of that kind of stuff that we understand that Moses did. So, so from a comparison, looking at Moses and Joshua would say, well, Joshua is sort of ordinary. However, you look at Joshua's life, and it was one constant conflict. All he did, mostly, was fight battles. And I hate to say this, but that is a true picture of the Christian life. And you will fight. You know, we, we, have, an, we, have, a, we have an enemy that's internal. That's the flesh. We have an enemy that's external. That's the world. And we have an enemy that's infernal. That's Satan. That we're going to fight all our life long until our Lord comes for us where we go to be with him through death. And so Joshua pictures for us the reality of the Christian life. The life is one long battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is what you see in Joshua. There was constant conflicts. There was constant foes. And basically, when Joshua completed his tasks, he was at the end of his life, and he died. Joshua chapter 24. He completed his responsibilities. You know, his conflicts never ended. In Joshua 23, in verses 1 through 13, you know, he he rehearses a little bit. His life, Joshua 23, says, It came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest from, unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. Ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. The Lord your God, he it is that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot the nations that remain. To be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. The Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you, drive them out from your sight. Ye shall possess their land the Lord, as the Lord your God hath promised you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of their names of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. And so on. I'm not going to take time to read all that. But, but we see that his, that's what his life was. And you know, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that, that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and Rulers of darkness, this wicked world, and, and we're to put on the whole armor of God that maybe will stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, this is, this is the Christian life. And this is what Joshua lived. And he lived it victoriously. Victoriously. He had a long career. He's 110 years old. And he was deceived. One time. That's all we have record of. By the Gibeonites. So, what was the secret of his long and successful career? 
Well, I think we get a glimpse of it here in Exodus chapter 17. This is the first mention of his name in verses 8 through 14. I want you to notice particularly verse 14. And this is the first time that we at least are given record that Israel fights a battle. And, and uh, of course, they did it with Moab. Uh, well, no, this is prior, pre-Moab. And Joshua was chosen to go out, choose men and go out and fight. But notice in verse 14, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Now at this point in time, Moses doesn't know who's going to replace him. There's no indication he knows. In fact, we'll find later on that he's going to ask the Lord to choose a man, and the Lord says, Joshua. So Moses doesn't know that Joshua is going to the man, but it's interesting to me that God says to Moses, you rehearse this in the ears of Joshua. You rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Now, the word rehearse means to impress upon. To fix, fix it deeply or strongly in one's mind. You make sure Joshua understands. You rehearse this to him and write it for Moriel. That I'm going to utterly put out remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. But I think it was more than that, that it was God that gives the victory. See, he learned early on that power belongs to God. Are you listening, young men? Power belongs to God. Are you listening? This is what, this is what Moses, or God is telling Moses to tell Joshua, Joshua, are you listening? Power belongs to me. Belongs to me. The ability to win battles belongs to me. Yeah, you might have been the guy in the field, but I'm the one giving the victory. I'm the one with the power. Impress that deeply upon your mind. Yeah, we, we, all of us, ladies, men, all of us need to understand that power belongs to God. He can raise men up, and he can bring them to them. If there's somebody in his way, he can remove them. He did it before, and he can do it again. Power belongs to him. And so, so he was to rehearse this in their ears. Second thing we, we see, that he learned to commune with God. And again, in Exodus 33, Exodus 33, it's, you know, again, there's, there's something uh, going on here between him and Moses. But in Exodus 33, verse 11 says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, you know, that means he didn't have a mother? No. 
the, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. So when Moses left the tabernacle and, and, and communing with God to go talk to the people, Joshua stayed with the Lord. Chapter 24, verse 13. Chapter 24 and verse 13. It says, And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And so Moses here and his minister Joshua. So Joshua was learning to commune with God by simply following Moses around and ministering to Moses. He didn't mind being Moses' minister because being Moses' minister brought him into close proximity to God, into close relationship with God, into communion with God. So if he had to be a servant to Moses, he was willing to do it so he could be in communion with God, learn how to commune with God. You know, he wasn't like Korah. I said, I want to be like Moses. He said, I don't care if I'm like Moses or not. I just want to be, get close to God. See, his focus was not on having the position. His focus was on having the relationship. You know, Psalm 62, I... Uh, 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 I wanted to read this earlier, and I missed it, but go over there for a minute. Go back to the learning of the power of God. I'm sorry about that. Psalm 62. There's a couple statements we need to, I need to emphasize along with this. Psalm 62 and verses 8 through 11 says this. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. So he learned that power belonged to God. He also learned to commune with God. Third thing we see that he learned was to submit and depend upon God. You know, he... He learned to depend on the Lord and not be led astray by the opinions or the feelings of men. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And this means that sometimes, if you're going to learn to depend upon God, you have to learn to stand on your own two feet without anybody else's support. Everybody else may forsake you. You know, Paul said, you know, at my last answer, no, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. See, if you're going to learn to submit and depend upon God, sometimes it means standing alone. Standing alone. In Numbers 14, of course, this is a familiar account. The spies have come back and brought up their evil report. And they're given all this, you know, 
saying all this stuff, which a lot of it's true. There's giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. There's all this, you know, it is a land mowing with milk and honey and, and so on and so forth. But again, they forgot about who God is. And verse 6 says, verse 5, And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is parred from them, and the Lord is with, uh, is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. See, Joshua was willing to stand. To stand out. And we find this, again, throughout his life. You know, think about it. In Joshua chapter 5, and verses 2 through 10, and I've got to read it for sake of time, but again, they've crossed the Jordan River. They're encamped against Jericho. Jericho is the first and one of the largest cities that they have to conquer. And it's all buttoned up because the children of Israel. And so he circumcised. As the Lord says, you need to circumcise the men. So all the men of war in the camp of Israel, he circumcises. You understand what that does to the men of war. It renders, it incapacitates them for war. It's very obvious that Joshua has great confidence in the Lord. Great trust in the Lord. He's depending on the Lord for protection because basically they are defenseless. You remember when, when, uh, when uh, Shechem defiled Dana, Jacob's daughter, and, and then he came out and he wanted to, you know, Shechem and his father Hamer, they, they said, that, you know, I, I, I love her, I want to marry her, and, and if you'll give us your daughters to wife, you'll, we'll give us your sons. And, and Jacob's son said, well, there's only one way we'll do this. That's if all you men be circumcised. Oh, they agreed to it. So they went and they convinced all the men of Shechem to be circumcised. And the third day when they're all sore and laying around, incapacitated, Levi and Simeon go and kill them all. Two men kill all the men of the whole city. And this is the condition that Joshua's men are put into. This is what God asked of Joshua. See, he's learned to submit, depend upon God. Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 of, of Joshua the captain of the, of, the, of the Lord of hosts appears to him and, and he falls on his face. He submits to the Lord and he obeys his voice. And it's in that time that the Lord gives him instructions concerning the conquering of the city of Jericho and he obeys that to the letter. That order, that to humanity, really didn't make sense. but by faith in God and depends upon Him. 
He submitted to it. The third, fourth thing we see about Joshua, and again, this shows the kind of relationship with the Lord he had. He was grieved over the sin and rebellion of Israel. Look here in Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were them which searched the land, rent their clothes. Rending of the clothes speaks of something that's very bad. It's, it's, a, it's extreme. And this to them was extreme rebellion. And they were so violently opposed to what these men were doing that they rent their clothes. You know, at Corinth, there were some that threw down their garments and stomped them in rejection and rebellion against Paul's message. And they brought an insurrection. And the Bible says they opposed themselves. You know, the message that Joshua and here and Caleb also are giving to these people is, look, I, we will not participate. We will have no part in your rebellion. None. We're against it. It almost cost them their lives. But see, that was not what was important to them. What was important was they side with God. They be right with God. They depend upon the Lord. A fifth thing I see here of Joshua is, you know, he did not act or think independently of God. Look at Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30. Joshua 8 and verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord, God of Israel, in Mount Ebel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man hath lifted up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel, and their elders, and officers, and their judges, stood on this side, the ark, and on that side, before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well as the stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over Mount against Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversing among them. Notice that. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation. You know, this was at, this was at some cost, or at, it, it was some inconvenience. The distance, you know, they just conquered Ai, and according to a couple of commentators, the distance from Ai to Ebel, Mount Gerizim, was as many as 20 or 25 miles. Now, this is a, this, this, the topography here makes for a natural amphitheater. There's, there's like hills on each side and a valley in between. So, you know, it, there would be like, you know, easy to hear on both sides with, you know, 
two million and some plus people, all gathered, half on one side. And this is what Moses told them to do when you come into the land. You know, it's, this is recorded for us in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27, I think. And uh, anyway, you know, this is what they were supposed to do. And they were supposed to read the law of God and write again the commandments of the Lord. This was time-consuming. It was inconvenient. But it was commanded. It was commanded. And so it didn't matter if it was inconvenient. The issue wasn't whether it was convenient or not. The issue is whether it was right or not. You see, Joshua accepted the whole counsel of God. You know, we have a lot of people today that call themselves Christians that they want to take this part of the Bible and this part of the Bible and this part over here, but not the rest of it. They sort of treat the Bible like I treat a smorgasbord. You know, when I go to a restaurant that has a smorgasbord, I don't eat one of everything that's on that board. I pick and choose what I want. But if I'm going to have a right relationship with the Lord, I don't have that option when I come to the Word of God. Paul wrote, to, or, or he addressed the, the Ephesian elders, said, I am not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Whole counsel of God. And this is what, this is what Joshua was doing. He was obeying every command of God that Moses, the man of God, had given him. You know, his mind was in tune with the Lord. You know, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you know, the, the, the Lord had commanded, This book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, the psalmist said, Psalm 37, 3 through 5, Trust in the Lord, do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, it was inconvenient for him and the nation of Israel to come back to this place and then go back out and fight more battles, which they had to leave this place and go to these places where they had to fight these battles. So it was time-consuming, but this is what God commanded. But delight in the Lord, he says. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way in the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And see, depending upon the Lord, it, it, it requires that we cleave to the truth. You know, the verses before Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say this. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bound them about thy neck. That's like tie them in a, a pretty tight so it can't get off. Do you, ever, do you ever forget something? You know, sometimes I may forget something and, and you know, I may forget something and I'll say, uh, say to my wife, well, I mean, I'll just I'll have to I'll tie it around my neck so don't forget, you know. Well, that's the idea here. Tie it around your neck so you don't forget it. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them by thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Psalm 119.11 Thy word have I hid in mine heart. See, 
Trust comes from the heart, and the heart is established by the counsel, the understanding of the truth of the Word of God. As we receive counsel from the Word of God and understand it, we, learn, we, we come to trust. Verse 4, so, you know, verse 3 again, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and men. We learn from Sunday school that that word understanding really has to do with hearing. See, as we listen to the word of God and get it in our heart, we will come to trust him. And that's why Joshua, or God told Moses, rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Fix it down in his heart. And Joshua never departed from the word of truth. You see, we must seek God's mind and then we will act accordingly. Accordingly. You know, God's instructions to cross the Jordan River. To circumcise the men, to roll back the reproach of Egypt. All these things were kind of like, you know, from a human standpoint, really, Lord? And there are going to be things that that are going to come into your life and are coming into your life that are going to cause you to question, should I obey God or what should I do here? Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in multitude of counsels they are established. See, Joshua learned that when I receive counsel from God, I need to do it. I just need to obey it. Proverbs 24.3, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And Joshua had to do, did do things that were great exploits. You know, Daniel, I'm trying to remember where it is. Anyway, there's a verse in Daniel, I think it's in chapter 11. They that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. See, Joshua knew the power of God. And if you read chapter 11 of Joshua, there was, you know, he had to conquer Jabin, and his confederation who had chariots of iron. And all the Israelites are foot soldiers. Now you talk about some exploits. And if I'd have been commanding that army, and I defeat an army with chariots and horses, first thing, you know what I wanted to, would want to get? What would you want to get? The chariots and the horses, right? God says, hawk the horses and burn the chariots. Really? Yeah. Remember, power belongs to God. I can defeat chariots. God's saying, I can defeat chariots pulled by horses. You don't need to worry about that. You just obey me. You see, this was... Joshua.
The sixth thing we see of him is his communion and meditation of God's word worked out in his life. You know, in chapter 1, verse 8, there's that familiar verse, this book of the law shall not, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thee by prosperous, and then shalt have, thou shalt have good success. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, Joshua 1.8 is the Old Testament counterpart to Philippians chapter 2. Joshua, if you will meditate in my law and observe to do it, I'll work out in your life all my commandments and all my promises. I'll work out your salvation, your deliverance against the, all the enemies of the land of Canaan. I'll work it out. I'll work out your problems of your life. See, this, of course, required faith. He believed God would do what he had promised. And he saw God bring it all to pass. In fact, look at chapter 21. And, and he rehearses this a little bit in the, in the ears. Chapter 21, verses 43 to 45 says, The Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all they swear unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel all came to pass. Now, I want you to think about that statement. Verse 44. Uh, there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. This is before they conquer the land. And the Lord says to Joshua, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And Joshua believed it. And he acted on it. You see, what caused Joshua to not be afraid of Jabin and all his chariots, his faith in what God said? In chapter 1, verse 5. And because he had faith, he was able to see it brought to pass. God wrought great deliverances in his life. He had conviction. He was convinced that God's ways were right. God's ways were best. Not better. Best. Best. You know, there are people, in fact, you know, this uh, way of conquering Jericho, you know, I, maybe I could have come up with a better way. I mean, it sounded a little far-fetched to me, didn't you? March around it once a day for six days. And then the seventh day, you march around it seven times. And the seventh time, when you're tired, when you get tired after marching seven times around the city, well, you know, of course, these people have been marching for 30, 40 years in the wilderness. They've been marching all their lives. So they probably weren't tired. But, but anyway, you know, after seven times marching around, you just shout, and the wall's going to fall down flat. 
Hmm. Okay. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But it's what God said. God says, this is how you do it. You know, there was Ai. It was a little place. It was a lot smaller than Jericho. And they did send up a few men, and they got defeated. Why? Because of the sin. But even after the sin, they asked God, should we go up? And God said, send those around behind it and put liars in wait. So don't attack it directly. Don't attack it directly. Even though it's a little place. You know what I think? Again, the Lord's saying, look, don't think you're some high and mighty. Just because you conquered Jericho doesn't mean you can just take any city by yourself. You still need my instructions. You still need to depend upon me. Yeah, this is circumcised all the men of war. Again, he believed that God would protect them. Convinced. Romans 4, 19 and 20 and 21 says, and being not, Speaking of Abraham, Be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. If God said it, he'll do it. That's what Abraham said. And that's what Joshua believed. He was convinced. Just as Paul was. Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced. See, we need to be convinced. That what God's word says is true. It will come to pass. And that brings about obedience. When we're convinced, it'll bring about obedience to the word of God. You observe to do. This, this, is, this is said twice in verse 7, also in verse 8 uh, of, of Joshua 1. He says that you know, you're to observe to do it. And this is what Joshua did. This was, his, this was the thing of his life, was observing to do what the Lord commanded. In chapter 10, verse 40, it says, And Joshua smote all the country of the hills, and of the south, and of the vale, and of the springs, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breed, as the Lord God of Israel commanded. Chapter 11, verse 15. And the Lord commanded Moses a servant. So did Moses command Joshua. And so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Again, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. See, again, not just some of them, but whatever God said. All that God commanded. You know, the sad thing was, the elders that overlived Joshua, they were like that too. But their children? What's the theme of the book of Judges? Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. They've forsaken him. 
And see, what we see here then is, because Joshua believed God, he had faith, he was convinced, he was obedient, God proved himself through him. You know, Malachi prophesied to the nation of Israel. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. There may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. Prove me. Obey my command. Prove me. Prove me right. Prove me. You want to prove God? Obey Him. If you want God to show Himself strong on your, on your behalf, obey Him. Obey Him. God showed Himself strong on behalf of, of, of Daniel because He obeyed Him. He proved Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego proved Him. And this is what Joshua did. He proved God. They saw... The nation of Israel, Joshua and the nation of Israel saw God do that which only God could do. Conquer nations with horses and chariots? Bring down walls? Just fall down flat? Depart, you know, divide rivers? Prove him. You know, they could have said when they were marching around Jericho, you know, you ever get in the car and the kids start saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, I have to wonder if some of the Israelites saying, can we shout yet? Can we shout yet? I mean, this is the second day. Can't we just shout today? No, no. God said the seventh day. And God proved himself. See, we prove God in our lives by taking him at his word and obeying it, relying on it. This is what Joshua did. His life was really quite simple. Full of battles, full of wars, con- continual conflict. But it was really quite simple. Just obey me. God said, just follow me. Now I'll lead you into the paths, into victory, into the paths of living water. You might be an ordinary person. But God can still prove himself through you. Just trust him.